See, one time it's good to be here today, good to feel the presence of the Lord this morning. And we're, we're blessed today to have Brother Chad with us today. I don't know how many years he's been coming here, but he's kind of blended in when he comes here, and he's kind of like one of us. We've, we're, we're blessed and thankful that we he's coming. If you won't come at this time, and uh, um, Brother Chad, you know, he was just a person that you don't, I don't have to worry about. We get behind the pulpit because I know he's speaking God's truth, and he's a great guy, and I appreciate him very much. Brother Chad. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. 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 I was just doing math in my head of how many years I've been coming here. And I know it's been 10 years at least because I remember driving here and, uh, with my wife. And we had just married on the back of glass of my truck. <laughs> and we've been married 10 years this year. The reason I remember that is because I got stopped by a police officer on the way here. And he asked me, did you just get married or should I give you money for a car wash? And I said, I just got married. And he let us out of the ticket because of that. And, and that was, you know, in just a few weeks will be 10 years of, of traveling here, at least 10 years, if not a little bit longer. And um, genuinely, I, I want to, it's one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, in the last 10 years, God's blessed me, he's blessed my wife, my family, and, and we've gotten to travel and go places and do things and preach in churches that uh, I would have never ever dreamed of. Um, but I always look forward to coming here and, and being in this pulpit and being with you. And uh, as you guys said, it feels like family. It feels like coming home. And so thank you guys so much for uh, being here. And uh, I want to take time just to honor your pastors. Um, how many years you've been here now? Working on 36 years. <laughs> I'm 34, Darvin. <laughs> 36 years. I don't know if you realize how much of a gift that is. Statistics say 1,500 pastors a month leave the ministry. But, but your pastor has been here 36 years. And, uh, and not only has he been here 36 years, um, but this may be the fullest I've ever seen in the room. He's leading a growing church, and, he's, and it's, it's a multicultural, multi-generational church. It's not one way. Um, just, I think one of the greatest things I can do on a Sunday like this is to come in and remind you that what you're a part of right here isn't normal. That there are thousands of churches and, th and thousands of communities all over our country who are scrounging to get by, who are hoping people will show up, but you're in the middle of a move of God. You're in the middle of ministry happening. You're in the middle of generations being changed. You're in the middle of a, I'm thankful that you're in the middle of a Bible preaching church <laughs> that doesn't bend to, cord, to, to culture, that doesn't bend towards politics or what other people think. If it's in the book, we're going to preach it, right? <laughs> if it, and if, if God said it, we're going to believe it. And so, um, so I honor your pastors, I honor Hansel and, uh, and Rachel, and I think you ought to just one more time give them a big round of applause for being your leaders. We honor you. And I've been around long enough to know that Darv's not going to make a big deal about pastor appreciation and all of that because he, that's not his nature. Um, but I want to tell you this before I get into the message. In my office at my church, there's a filing cabinet. And in the bottom drawer of that filing cabinet, is over a decade's worth of cards from Pastor Appreciation. And, uh, and some of those people that wrote me cards five, eight, ten years ago aren't even alive anymore. Uh, every, every month or every time somebody writes a card like that, I put it in that drawer. And on days when ministry gets hard, on days when I'm tired, on days when I'm weary, I pull those cards out. And I remind myself why I do what I do. And so I just want you next week to... To, and he didn't ask me to say this, and I didn't know you guys were doing that next week, but I want you next week to be intentional in how you honor and love your pastors um, because you, you have some of the finest, that, in my opinion, that, that anybody could ever have. And so just uh, don't miss that opportunity to say thank you because they've loved your family, they've loved your kids, they've prayed for you, they've prayed for your marriages. And so I just, I just challenge you to honor them really well next week um, because uh, you, you can't go wrong with honoring your leadership. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Hansel knows I have struggled more on what to preach this time than any time in the last 10 years. Uh, really wanted to get the mind of the Lord. 
um, but I really feel like I've got it. Luke chapter 15. If they, I don't know who they is, but if they told me, Chad, you can only preach from one passage of the Bible, one chapter of the Bible for the rest of your life, what would you pick? I'd pick Luke 15. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Um, I think it's deep, it's profound. It encourages uh, those who are following Jesus. It, it challenges those who aren't following Jesus. There's a lot of meat in Luke 15. And so we're going to get into the Word here in just a moment. And I want to preach a message that I've entitled, Reach One More. And in our church, it's become a rally cry. If you were to walk into the lobby of our church, there's a big overhang that has those words planted as, as big as you could imagine, Reach One More. And, uh, and it's, it's become the rally cry of our church because I don't know how you feel, um, but I sit in a lot of conferences and meet in a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and, and you hear these terms thrown around and these phrases, we're going to change the world. We're going we're gonna to see the whole world turned upside down for the gospel. And I believe that God can do it and I think that's the, the mission of the church. But sometimes I look at a statement like that, if we're going to change the whole world, and I think this, well, piddly little old me is going to have a hard time doing that. <laughs> We're going, to, we're going to change the whole world. And in the back of my mind, I think that's above my pay grade. I don't have the capacity, the bandwidth, the charisma to change the whole world. But I can take that, that big overarching dream and I can narrow it down. That God, I may not be able to change the whole world, but I can help change somebody's world. I may not have the capacity to, to preach to nations. I may not have the capacity to lead revivals that see millions of people come to know the Lord. But I do have the capacity to share my story and to show what Jesus has done in my life and to reach the next person. <laughs> and so every Sunday, my church knows every Sunday, the mission of, my, uh, of that Sunday is my goal when I get up to preach the gospel is I want to reach the next Chad. Because I believe every Sunday there's, a, there's another broken young man that walks through the doors of the church that's hopeless and needs the love of God and needs to know that their life can be different. And so I preach with the hopes that that Chad, that next Chad is going to give his life to Jesus. And then I get up the next Sunday and hope that the next Chad is going to give his life to Jesus. And we'll say something like this around our church. I'll tell them an empty seat is a serious matter. And so sometimes on Sunday, I'll say, look around, and I want you to find the, the closest, emptiest seat, which it's, uh, Brother Darv, I don't know if you're thinking about it, but you may need to expand or relocate, because there ain't a whole lot of empty seats in this room. But I'll, I'll say, I want you to find the closest empty seat to you, and I'll tell them this, that empty seat's a big deal. Why? Because you want to have the biggest church in town? I don't know. I don't care about that. Why? Because you, wanna, you need to have your ego stroked and preach to large crowds. No, I don't care about that. That empty seat is a serious deal. and it's a, bit, it's a serious matter and a big deal because there's somebody who's going to hell that could be sitting in that seat. There's a family member. There's a friend. There's a co-worker. There's someone who doesn't know Jesus that needs to know Jesus. And they need to be sitting in that seat. And so I'll challenge them. And I'll say, I want you to think, who do you know that can sit in that seat next week? How can we reach one more? And so I want to preach this message entitled Reach One More. Start off telling you a story. Some of you may be familiar with it. There was a soldier in World War II named Desmond Doss. Has anybody heard his story? If you, he, they turned his life into a movie a few years ago called Hacksaw Ridge. And Desmond Doss was a conscientious, conscientious objector in World War II, which basically means this. Um, he, he participated in battle as an unarmed medic. His conscience didn't allow him to carry a weapon, but he still wanted to defend his country. And so he went into World War II as a medic, but unarmed. And Doss would enter into one of the most gruesome battles of the World War II. It's known as the Battle on Hacksaw Ridge. Here's the truth. Not many would go into the bloodiest of battles of the war without a weapon, but he did. Armed only with his faith and a prayer, he has a story of courage and conviction. And what would happen that night on that battle is there would be a retreat that was ordered in Japan on Hacksaw Ridge. And they would, because they were under fire and they were losing the battle, but Doss refused to leave the wounded on the battlefield. And so 
he went back into the firefight after they had already called the retreat and said, we need to get out of here. It's too dangerous. We're losing. Too many men are getting hurt. Too many men are being killed. Doss would go back and he would, he would not leave the wounded right there on the ridge. And, and he would go back and he would go again and he would go again and he would go again. Doss passed away in 2006. You can find clips on the internet of him recounting his story. And that night on a ridge in Japan unarmed in the heat of battle, as he would go to save another, another wounded soldier, he would pray a prayer. And there's stories of him telling this, and he says, here's the prayer that I would pray. Lord, please help me get one more. And he'd go rescue a wounded soldier. He'd rope them down over the end of that ridge, and he would go and he would say, Lord, please help me get one more. And over and over and over throughout that night, he would pray the prayer, Lord, please help me get one more. And Doss knew he could not win the war by himself, but he could save at least one life at a time. And it said that on that day, Doss saved at least 75 men in that night. Going back again and again saying, Lord, help me reach one more. Now listen, we're not and yet... We won't dive off into that. We're not yet in the middle of a war here in our country. But every day we are in a spiritual war. And like DOS, I don't know if you've realized it in your school or in your place of employment or just walking around in normal society, we are on enemy territory. And Jesus gave us a challenge in the Gospels to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And doing something like that may seem hard for a lot of us. How am I going to disciple people? How am I going to reach nations and tribes and languages? And I would say instead of being overwhelmed by the task, I want to challenge you to pray a simple prayer every day of your life. Lord, how can I reach one more today? Lord, will you help me reach one more in my school? Lord, will you help me reach one more on my college campus? Lord, will you help me reach one more at my job? Lord, will you help me? Will you give me eyes to see people the way that you see people and then find ways to play a small part in God's rescue operation? You see this is the heart of God in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read the first seven Verses of Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story, and it's a story of the one. It says this, Then all the tax collectors... Actually, can we do something? Can we stand to read the Word of God together? Just in observance, because I, I believe in this book. I've given my life to this book. I believe all of this book. From the index to the maps in the back, I just think it's the real deal, you know. And so, and I, again, I, I commend a church that preaches the whole gospel. I don't like that we have bent a book that's been around forever to millennials, right? I, I, and so, so we're going to preach the whole gospel today, all right? Here's what it says, Luke 15, starting in chapter 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, and they said, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus sits down to have lunch, invites the people that they don't think he should sit with, and the people around him get angry. And he's spoken a parable, so he gives them a riddle, a religious riddle and a teaching, and he says this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Father, I pray over the next few moments that you give us ears to hear, a mind to comprehend, a heart that's willing to change and respond. And I pray, God, that you would use me in spite of myself, my fears, my failures, and all of my shortcomings, that you would get honor and glory today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated today. <clears throat> I've got three simple points that I want to show you. 
as we talk about reaching one more, but I think we need to start off with this reality. To reach one more, you first need to realize that you are God's one. That every person in this room is God's one. What's the, the Bible teaches us in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16? That if any of us will call on His name, that He gave His only begotten Son so that we could not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I don't know how you are, but I've grown up in church most of my life. And, uh, and I... I in, in, I don't know, I won't blame it on the church, it's my fault, but in my warped views and my warped thinking, there are times that I've sat in services like this and had a preacher like me say, God loves you, God cares about you, but my warped thinking says this, yes, God loves me, but He loves, my, loves me by default because He loves everybody and I just get clumped in. But listen, we don't serve a, just a corporate God, we serve an individual God. And when you, I want you to hear this, this preacher today. When I say God loves you and you are God's one, I'm not saying you're part of his crowd. I'm not saying you're part of his congregation. I'm saying that he drastically, individually cares about your life. He cares about your family. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your destiny. He cares about your health, that you are God's one, that God's face and God's heart are turned in your direction. I love what St. Augustine said when he said, God loves each of us as though there were only one of us. There's this story in Matthew chapter 10 about some sparrows, and here's what it says. Um, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will, but the very hair of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows." And again, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I read, the, I read that scripture. And there's another scripture in Luke where Luke talks about five sparrows are worth a copper coin. And I'm like, well, 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 Matthew said there was two and Luke said there was five. So I guess Luke's a better shopper than Matthew is because he got five for one and, and Matthew only got two. But then after I process that, here's the next question that comes to mind. Why in the world are they shopping for sparrows? What has, what, has, <laughs> what has driven them to the place that they wanted to go bird shopping? And in my research, I found this. Sparrows were sold as a cheap, common snack by vendors around the temple area. So when the church would show up to the temple on Sunday, there would be vendors around and they would sell sparrows. Like, think about nachos and cheese at a ball game. That's how they treated sparrows. That it was a, it was a simple, I don't listen, I don't know if they smoked them, I don't know if they fried them, I don't know if they rolled them in buffalo sauce. But for whatever reason, Snickers and sparrows are kind of like the same thing. To that day and age, it was a cheap snack that that they would grab when they were in a hurry. And so he says, that, so I want you to understand why is that important? Jesus is using a common snack to display how insignificant in the economy a sparrow was. So he says a sparrow is worthless. A sparrow isn't thought about. A sparrow isn't cared about. They're never missed. They're so plentiful that nobody even notices when they're gone. But in stark contrast, Jesus teaches us that in God's economy, not one sparrow has ever fallen to the ground without the father attending its funeral. I want you to understand what Jesus is teaching. He's saying this, what seems insignificant to everybody else is significant to me. A lot of people would say, it's just a sparrow. Nobody cares if the sparrow falls on the ground. Nobody cares if the sparrow doesn't make it. But he says there's not one sparrow that falls that I don't know about. I go to the funeral. I care. I'm invested. What everyone else treats as insignificant, I want you to see that the kingdom of God sees as significant. And why is that important? Because there's a lot of people who show up to a church like this on a Sunday, and they're wondering, does anybody know what I'm going through? Does God even care that this is happening in my marriage? Does God even care that, that they're talking about cuts in the office and I don't know where if I'm on the chopping block or not? Does God, is, is the insignificant details of my life even a blimp on the radar of the God of the universe? And he says, I just want you to know I'm watching the sparrows and I'm watching every detail of your life too. That you're God's one. That he is drastically invested in your life. That he cares about you in a very deep way. There used to sing a song when I was growing up in church that says his, his, his eye is on the sparrow. 
You see, God knew them and he, and he cares about the little sparrow. He cares more about you because you are his one. Let me put it this way. God set the market value on your life because he traded his son for a relationship with you. Amen. That's a big deal. You are God's one. And when you realize that you are God's one, you are, you are faced with a choice to make. And that choice is this. Will you make God your one? I want to ask you that. Is God your one? Is Jesus the engine that's running your life? Is Jesus the metric by which your entire life is calibrated? Is He your one? Or has your life become so full of everything else that He's been pushed to the side altogether? Matthew chapter 6 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. And it's this, it's this picture that the very thing that a lot of us are chasing have displaced God from His priority in our life. But if we'll put God as the priority of our life, all the stuff we're chasing will come to us anyways. And I read a verse like that, and I don't know how you feel, but I've thought, I've wasted years of my life chasing after all these things. I've wasted years of my life chasing after notoriety and accolades and chasing after stuff that I thought would fulfill me and satisfy me. And if I could tell you one thing this morning, I would tell you this, chase after Jesus because He's better than everything else in this world. And so, our heart should align with what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs after you. I grew up on the King James Version of the Bible in Psalm 63, verse 8. says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Let me ask you a question this morning, and please don't dismiss it as elementary and above where you are in your spiritual journey. I want you to consider this question. Does your soul follow hard after the Lord? Because so many times our pursuit of Jesus gets clouded by religion and by all the religious stuff. And we can get all the religious stuff right and our heart still remain far from Him. So I didn't ask you today, are you following the rules? I didn't ask you, are you adhering to church doctrine? I didn't ask you, did you meet membership criteria? I ask you, is your soul following hard after Him? Because if we're not careful, we'll check all the boxes, but the religious stuff will get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. You know, for me, uh, my mind's elementary, and so this is how I process things. It's like when I go to the gas station, and I've got the pump, and I want to get gas, but they got all these questions for me. Anybody else ever get frustrated? Is it debit or is it credit? It's debit. Okay, well, what's your pen? Here's my pen. What's my zip code? Here's my zip code. And they said, okay, do you, you what, what kind of fuel do you want? And I pick what kind of fuel do I want. Do you want a car wash? No, I don't want a car wash. Are you a rewards member? No, I'm not a rewards member. Do you want to sign up? No, I don't want to sign up. Do you know if you sign up, you'll save 10 cents a day? Yes, I know, and I still don't want to sign up, right? Do you, want a, what, what, do you want fuel additive? It'll give you 70,000 miles to a gallon. No, I don't want fuel additive. Do you want a receipt, right? Yes, I want a receipt. Well, go see the cashier so you can get a receipt. And I'm like, holy smokes, I just want gas. That's, I have one goal, and it's gas. I don't need all the questions. Just want gas. I've gotten on a tangent. I have no clue what I'm going to preach now. No. <laughs> <laughs> just like at a gas pump where all I want to do is get gas and the questions get in the way. If we're not careful, religion will get in the way of people who are just trying to get to Jesus. Amen. They're broken and they're hurting and they're showing up on a Sunday morning like this needing answers to the deep questions of their life. And if we're not careful, religion will say, well, are you Calvinist or are you Arminian? How were you baptized? Are you, what are your beliefs on the gifts of the Spirit? Are you pre-trib, post-trib, or mid-trib? I'm just trying to catch a trip right now. I don't know what all that stuff means. And I want you to hear me in the right setting and in the right moment. You have to ask all of those questions. All of those things are necessary. But when people are hurt, and broken and desperate. They just want Jesus and we got to make sure we're not putting a bunch of questions and obstacles in the way of getting to 
Jesus. He's the one that our lives have to be calibrated around. So hear me today. I'm not asking you what your religious affiliation is. I'm not asking you, are you a member of Oak Grove Church? I'm not asking you what your doctrinal stance is or how you feel about the signs of the times. I'm asking you, does your soul follow hard after him? Is Jesus the one of your life? Are you living, loving, leading, serving, giving, going for the one? And if not, Today's a good day to reassess your walk with the Lord. Amen. And so you are God's one. You have to make sure your response is that, God, I'm going to make you number one of my life. And when those two realities collide, I believe you are officially equipped to reach one more. And Jesus, when he walked the earth, summed up his entire purpose on earth in one statement. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So Jesus said, I came for one reason. I came for one purpose. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening. But the reason that I came is because I want to seek and save those that are lost. It's, if it's the mission of Jesus, it should be the mission of the church. If it's the mission of Jesus, it should be the mission of followers of Jesus. If Jesus said the whole reason that I left glory and came to earth and was born of a virgin and lived a sin-free life but died a very scandalous death was so that lost people could come to know me, then it should be the burden and the weight of our reality every day. There's somebody out there who's lost and i got to help them be found. It should be the mission, the pulse, the heartbeat of the church. And that purpose could not be any more clear than the statements of Jesus that we read in Luke chapter 15. Let me read it to you again. Starting at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he gets all of his friends and all of his neighbors. And he says, rejoice with me. I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So Jesus sits down with tax collectors and sinners And the Pharisees and the scribes are listening. And he tells them a story about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. 99 of them are safe and sound, and one of them has wandered off. And I ask you this morning, have you ever felt like you were the only one in the situation that you were in? Maybe you came to church today, and you feel like everybody else in this room would be in the huddle of 99. They followed the shepherd. They got it right. They're where they're supposed to be in life. They've gotten things in order. But you're in the room today and you're saying, I'm the one that's made mistakes. I'm the one who's not proud of everything in their past. I'm the one who can't comprehend a God who would love me unconditionally because my life has been so messy. And we can show up in a church like this and feel like we're that one sheep. And you know, I, I, I just doubt that sheep is like the one loner, emo sheep who's like, I'm going to do this thing by myself. You ever think that maybe the sheep got lost because something went wrong on the journey? You know, what I tell our church is I say, we acknowledge at our church that when people are not where they're supposed to be, it's probably because something in their life happened they didn't expect to. You don't want to be the only one out there. You don't want to be the last lonely sheep. And there's this interesting part of the story. Lord, I'm sorry. If it's broken, if it's not too costly, I'll pay for it, okay? (laughs) If it is. (laughs) There's this interesting part in Luke chapter 5, or in in chapter Luke 15, verse 5, that says this. It says, when he found the sheep, Left all the 99, went after the one, he found it. And then it says this. It says, he laid it on his shoulders and he rejoiced. And again, I read the Bible with a lot of skeptical thoughts. And I thought, 
why in the world did he pick the sheep up and put it on his shoulders? You know, I, um, I've had, I've got a dog that's, her name is Jenny. She's 14 years old and she's deaf as a doornail. I mean, she, we, when she gets out in the yard, we live on five acres and when she gets out in the yard, it's like, I got to do big hand signals because she doesn't hear a word. Well, I didn't know that because I had another dog that was a boxer. He passed away in November and we've had them together for 10 years. And I didn't know she was deaf because everywhere that he went, she went. And so they were always a pair. And I've had them, I've had them for, again, I've had them for over a decade. And I cannot tell you how many times I feel like they were possessed by the spirit of Christopher Columbus and they just had to explore, right? They needed to go. They, they were like, Dad, there's a big world out there and we want to see it all. And they would break out. Well, we, so we live out in the country now, but we lived in town for a, for a while and the Lord delivered us. But before that... <laughs> with neighbors and things like that. And the dogs would, they would break out and I would get text messages. I had a neighbor named Barney and he would text me and he would say, hey, Chad, your dogs are out. And I'm like, you have no clue. This is the third time they've been out today, right? There was a day that they broke out. They went to the local elementary school. They hung out all day long at the local elementary school at recess. The school posted pictures of kids with my dogs on their Facebook page. And I didn't know about it and I couldn't find them. Well, I found out later, but so I called the school and they said, we didn't know who they were. So we called the pound and my dog spent a night in doggy jail because they pounded clothes. And so... And let me tell you, so there's been a lot of times they had broken out over the years and I would have to get in my truck and I'd have to drive around the neighborhood and I would go and find them. And you know what I did? I would pick up my 80-pound boxer. I'd throw him over my shoulders. I'd walk in the house and I would say, Monica, girls, let's rejoice. The dogs are home. Please don't tell me you believe that. Do you think I did that? No. You know what I did? I got a newspaper, gave them some incentive, and put them in the kennel because they knew better than to break out. So here's my question. Why in the world did did the shepherd pick up the sheep? Could it be that the shepherd put the sheep on his shoulders? Because the sheep didn't have the strength to get back on his own. I want you to think about it. Because it doesn't make logical sense just to give a sheep a piggyback ride for no reason. It doesn't make logical sense unless the sheep had been wounded. Unless the sheep had been hurt, unless the sheep had been gone to a point that his body could not physically allow him. And so the shepherd put the sheep on his shoulders because he was too weak to return on its own. And most of the time, the people in our lives that are the one, that are the lost person that are out there, sometimes they've made choices and sometimes they've done things on their own that got them into that predicament. But then there are other times that life just happened and they are so weak and they're so beaten down that it's hard for them to return. And maybe you would be the person in the room who's been in that situation or find yourself in that situation and you would assume that the shepherd would approach the broken, lonely, confused sheep and say something along the lines of, you foolish sheep. How could you let yourself get to this place? You knew better. The other sheep warned you. I told you it'd be like this if you didn't listen to me. You keep doing the same foolish thing. You keep saying you're sorry for the same mistake. I've already rescued you from this place before. But that's not what happens. The shepherd scoops the sheep up. He tends to the sheep. He helps the sheep. And then he rejoices because the sheep got home. And in weakness, we can get lost and we can feel alone. And that's how we become the one. And often, when we're the one, we feel like we're not worth being pursued and that no one's going to waste their time looking for us. But I want you to know, just like the shepherd pursued the sheep, Jesus pursues us 
even when we're the last one out there. And just like Jesus pursued the one, you have to be a church that will continue to pursue the one. I want you to listen to me. If you, if you hear one thing today, I want you to hear this. That I want you to know what I know of this church and what I know of these pastors is that Oak Grove Church is not a church of, of religious zealots who make it hard for people to get to Jesus. This is a group of people who were once lost sheep that got carried home and they're just trying to help the next lost sheep get to the same place they are. And I think it'd be remiss. Uh, AJ didn't ask, but do you care to help me? You're in a great season of, as a church and, and that's acknowledged by the people in the room and the buildings and and what God's doing and how your kids' ministry in the midweek is expanding. You're in a great season as a church. You've grown numerically. You're deepening spiritually. But I'm going to tell you the same thing I've told my church. Our past and current success is not the measurement that we hold ourselves accountable to. Our church has grown. We've seen... We've baptized almost 200 people in water this year. It's been great. We've seen just tremendous growth. And you could look at that and just like you could look at this room and say, man, we're doing a pretty good job. But our past success and our current success is not the bar we measure ourselves at. I want you to hear this quote from a missionary from years gone by. And they said, you don't measure yourself by your past success, you measure yourself against the unfinished task. Well, what is the unfinished task? There are two billion people on earth who have never heard the name of Jesus. And so we can look at a room this size and the success of ministry and we can say we're doing a pretty good job and you are, but the reality is there's still people don't know Jesus so we can't get lazy and we can't get lax and we can't we can't falter we have to stay passionate about reaching the one in a world that is spiraling down faster than we could ever imagine the church cannot be a cruise ship meant for fun and enjoyment here's what I tell my church I tell them this as your pastor I am not the pilot of a luxury boat. I'm the captain of a rescue mission. The church is not a cruise ship. And, and, and the people of the church, they're not, they're not the wait staff and the entertainment crew of a, of a cruise ship. You are the lifeguards on a rescue mission seeking to save those who are lost. Here's the question I've been asking myself. Here's the question that my lead team and our staff talk through on a weekly basis. And here's the question I would ask you. Do we have enough lifeboats? Do we have enough safety rings? Do we, for the people who are lost and drowning, are we doing enough? Do we have, what, what more can we do? How, how much more can we serve? You say, well, Chad, we're already busy. I know, I know we're busy and I know we're doing a lot, but is what we're doing effective? Do we need to adjust it? Do we need to change the way we pattern some stuff? Because there's more people who don't know Jesus. And I got to help them know Jesus. I went on my first mission trip in, in 2010. I'll tell this story and I'm going to wrap up. My first mission trip, I went uh, to Nicaragua in 2010. I was 21 years old. I'd never been on an airplane. I, I grew up on a, you know, if you know me, I've been here 10 years, you've heard the story. Uh, I grew up on a gravel road in the middle of nowhere. I went to Dogskin Church of God as a kid. I mean, we are country bumpkins, all right? I got, I mean, and there's me and there's, and we're, where we stayed at in the missionary home was on a beach. And, uh, and so I say that because we'd never been to the beach. We didn't know nothing about high tide. We didn't have a clue about waves or anything like that. And we're out there and there's three of my friends that are in Bible college. We went to Bible college in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. And so we, um, we, went, to, uh, we went on this mission trip together and we're on the ocean 
and uh, and there's a rock formation that's probably a hundred yards out from the uh, from the beach, and big rock formation. We said we're going to swim out to it, not thinking a, a, a thing about tide, not thinking a thing about it's not it's this is going to get dangerous, and we swim out to that rock formation. But on the way, we literally get in over our heads, and the tide starts happening and waves are are I mean they're pushing us under it was literally there was like we I, there were moments where I was like I'm, I might drown right here in this ocean I have I, uh, you know I didn't tell my mom this story for a decade because she would have <laughs> been totally upset with me and we finally made it to the rock formation and we and we hung on for dear life <laughs> and all of us are in ministry to this day those other guys are and we I remember that day because we were going in to be ministry majors and we looked at each other and said we don't know when or how or where but we will tell this story in a sermon someday because of how life-altering it was. And I remember getting to that rock formation. And up on the, the beach, there was a, an overhang, like an, a lookout point that was up a, up a cliff that was really high. And there was a banister there. And when I looked up, all the locals were staring down at us. <laughs> But you know you've made a poor choice when the locals are, are watching you like, what in the world are they doing? Right? It's like y'all, when people go to Greer's Ferry or they're to the lake and y'all are like, what are they doing? People aren't from here. But I, I'll never forget this image as they look down at us like we were the fools that we were. On the banister in front of them were life rings. There was life rings. And they never threw one. And I thought, I was so tired. I was so exhausted. I was so scared. If they'd have thrown one of those out, it would have been so encouraging. It would have been so helpful. It could have changed the outcome. I mean, thankfully, we made it out all right, but it could have been a lot easier. And it's just this mental image in my mind that I never want to be the guy standing at the cliff watching people struggle and think, I'm not going to throw a life ring. They need to learn on their own. <laughs> no. Because Jesus went after the one. And I don't want to be the guy who's stingy and holds on to the life ring. I want to be the guy who said, it saved my life. Let me help you. He did this for me. Let me tell him what he, what, what he could do for you. He touched my marriage this way. Let me tell you how he can help your marriage. And we've got to be the people. Are there enough life rings? Does Oak Grove have enough lifeboats? And I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I want you to hear me. You're doing a phenomenal job as a church. People are getting saved and the ministry is growing and that's incredible. But please know there's more people out there. There's more people out there. Well, how big's our church got to get? Your church will never be big enough. Right? Because how many of you have a lost loved one at home? Show of hands. How many of you got somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus? And how you would never want for Pastor Darwin, Pastor Hans to get up and say, listen, the church is as big as we need it to be. We're not going to reach any more people. We're just going to maintain what we have. And your lost loved one need to show up on a Sunday to get saved, but they're in the room for them. So the church is never big enough because there's always somebody who needs to know Jesus. Will you help reach one more? If you'll stand all across the room, I'm going to pray for you and turn it over. I want you to imagine with me. Let's do this. Let's just bow our, bow our heads, close our eyes, and I want you to imagine with me for a moment. There's a single mom somewhere in the community that's working her third job this morning hoping that she can make ends meet for her kids. There's a family that's been divorced and in shambles and they're jockeying their kids back and forth right now. I want you to imagine the elderly in their apartment or their nursing home room that feels like, does anybody know I'm still around? There's an addict somewhere this morning in a town close to us that that set down the paraphernalia and promised 
this is really going to be the last time. There were probably kids in the county this week who were ripped away from their home, placed into foster care, and they have no idea when their life's ever going to be normal again. They're your neighbor. They're your family members. They're your co-workers. They're the waiter and the waitress at the restaurant when you go to lunch today. They are the one. The one broken in sin. The one bound by addiction. The one imprisoned in unbelief. The one. The one that's always searching but feels like they're never finding. The one that's always traveling but feels like they're never going to arrive. The one that's tried religion and it failed them. The one that's angered by injustice. The one that feels used up, washed, wasted, overlooked, forgotten. There's the ones that are far from God. And they are the ones. They are the reason that Oak Grove Church exists. It's the reason's it's the reasons that Pastor Darwin and Vicki have given 36 years of their life to this church and this community because there are lost people that need a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching group of believers who will love them where they are at and help them get to where God wants them to go. Will you reach one more? Romans says, how can they call on Him to save them? unless they believe in Him. And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about them unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So I feel like I'm just here on assignment to say, you're commissioned. You're sent. If you are born again, and have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have the opportunity and the obligation to reach one more. I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to look me in my eyes if you can all across the room. Because I think this is a powerful statement. You have never locked eyes with someone who was not deeply loved by God. I want you to hear this. You've never locked eyes with somebody who was not deeply loved by God. And they may look totally different. Their life may be totally different than yours. But every person you ever lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. And we have a responsibility to let them know God deeply loves you. Will you reach one more? Let's pray together. Father. I want to take a moment. <laughs> and I hope this is okay, but every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's going to look around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make a spectacle out of you. I'm not going to come to you. You don't got to come to me. But if there's somebody in this room who needs to take this second step in today's message and you need to make Jesus your one, you need to surrender your life to him. Maybe you once knew Him, but you've walked away. Your life is different than what it used to be. And, and you know right now that you need to make some changes. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. Only thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to join my faith with your faith. And I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment if that's you. And I just want you to know in this moment, the God of heaven is chasing after you. He pursues you. He's never loved you more than He does right now. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about your addiction. He doesn't care about your mistakes. None of that scares Him. Today, He's concerned about your heart. And if you'll surrender it to Him, He'll help you deal with your past. He'll help you overcome your addiction. He'll deliver you from stuff. He'll set you free from stuff. He'll, he'll help you in your relationships. He'll deal with all of that. But first, He just wants you to know He loves you deeply. And He wants you to surrender your life to Him. It's the greatest decision you will ever make. So every head bowed, every eye closed. It's just me, you, and Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Chad, I need to give my life to the Lord. 
I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high on the count of three so we can pray together. One, two, three. Is there anybody here today? See that hand in that hand. Thank you, Lord. See that hand in the back. Thank you, Lord. See that hand, young man. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't know how you guys do it, but I'm going to ask you to do it the way we do it in my church. (laughs) Because this is a big moment. And we want to have the opportunity to lead those people in a prayer of repentance. And I'm going to ask everybody in the room just to repeat after me. And if you raised your hand or you didn't, but you know you should have, I want you to repeat this prayer. Say it loud enough for yourself to hear. And I want you to meet it in your heart and everything changes today. So can we pray together? Repeat after me, dear Jesus. I repent of my attitude, my actions, and my addictions. And I acknowledge that I need you. So I repent and I ask you to become king of my life. And I declare today that I belong to you, you belong to me, and I'll never, never, never be the same again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Now listen, the Bible says that the hall of heaven rejoices when one person gives their life to Jesus. So if the heaven rejoices, I think the church should rejoice too. Can we give a big hand clap to all those people who just prayed that prayer? Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, here's what I would challenge you. Tell somebody. Tell your spouse. Tell your mama. Tell Pastor Darvin. Tell somebody that you prayed that prayer. And the next thing you need to know is there are no successful Christian islands. You can't do life alone. You need a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that will help you in your journey with God. And you're in a great one right here. Plug in. Show up on Sundays. Show up on Wednesdays. Get involved in the groups, whatever it is, so that you can grow in your walk with the Lord. It'll be the greatest thing you ever do. Let me pray one more prayer for you, and I'll turn it over. Hans told me I had four hours, so I'm coming in short, okay? Father, pray that today we don't walk out of this room saying, man, that was a good message. I hope we walk out of this room with a deep conviction and that you would give us a grace. For some of us in the room who are dealing with difficult people, our hearts can get calloused. I pray, God, you'd take some sandpaper and smoothen us up soften us up because we've never locked eyes with someone who wasn't deeply loved by you. And those people, we may be the only Bible they ever read. We may be the only gospel they ever hear. We may be the only Jesus they ever see. And I don't want them to seem a mean-spirited, cold-hearted, callous Jesus. I want them to know a shepherd who goes after that one lost sheep. Says, I know you're tired and lonely and weak. Let me help you. And God, we know, because we've walked with you for many years, we know that you're going to deal with their issues. You're dealing with our issues. We've had some uncomfortable moments with the Lord. And so we know that all of those things will be dealt with in the presence of God, but our goal and our job it's not to change them or fix them. Our job's just to get them to the man who can. So help us to be okay with doing our job and trusting you to do your job. Help us to have a heart to see people where they are and love them to where you want them to be at. Help us to reach one more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Darwin. Amen. Did you enjoy Brother Chad today? The Lord's work through him. Amen. God bless y'all. We'll catch you next go around, okay? Thank you.